Hey there and welcome to episode 1 of Puck Time, a hockey podcast. I'm Farzan Danani and I am so excited to launch the first episode with you today. Puck Time is my podcast where we will talk about all things hockey and I will be having a different guest speaker with me every week where we will debate and talk about all the things that are happening around the league. With that, I would love to get into a little bit of a background on me and my first segment, which is called, What's Your Story? Because if you know me, you know that one of my favorite things to say is, well, do you know me? Do you know my story? So I think when you do know someone's story, it really does show um, that you know them and who they are. So with that, I'd love to get into my first segment. This week's highlight will be me and what my story is and how I became a Leafs fan and how I became a hockey fan. So it all started when I was about three years old I used to watch hockey with my grandpa. We would always watch the 5 o'clock game. He used to love watching the Leafs. So I would sit there and watch with him. I mean, I was three, so when I wasn't drooling or farting, I would be watching with them. And then when I was about four and a half, he passed away. So just building on from that, I kept watching the team. And some of my favorite players who actually drew me to the game were Matt Sundin, Thomas Caberlet, Darcy Tucker, Ty Dome here, I loved him, Brian McCabe, Eddie Belfour, like he was probably my favorite goalie of all time, him and Cujo, but I didn't watch too much of them, but they still really drew me to the game and are part of the inspiration for me becoming a goalie. And then if you look at today's generation, I really love Phil Kessel. And if you know me, then you'll know he's my favorite player of all time. And I get chirped a lot for him, but I don't care because I love the guy. Honestly, I have his bobblehead, I have his hobby card, I have a frame of him, I have a life-size poster of him, and oh, number of jerseys that I have um, of him, shirts. He's just my favorite player, and I know he gets chirped a lot uh, for him and his physique. And you know what? He's a guy who can consistently put up over 80 points. Um, I loved him when he was in Toronto. I loved him when he was in Pittsburgh. I watched a lot of Pittsburgh games when he was on the team. I do watch a lot of Arizona now because he is on there and you know I just enjoy watching him a lot. He's my favorite player of all time hands down. And I mean now I really do love watching Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley. These guys are part of the core in Toronto and for the last couple of years I've really enjoyed watching them. Like Matthew's release is just, oh my god, the way he can pull it back and let it go, it's just crazy how he changes the angle all the time. As a goalie, you know, you hate that, but uh, it's so effective. William Nylander, I honestly love watching him play. I think he's so good at neutral zone entries and just having the puck on his stick. Like, he has so much poise. The way he can find players and make passes and even shoot the puck, he has a really good shot, but I think he's a pass-first guy. Uh, Marner's definitely a pass-first guy. With Tavares, he does really well. Like, last year, he got, I think, 94 points. Also, side note, Kessel also had 92 points a season high last year. And a career high for him. These kids are so good to watch. Morgan Riley in the back there on defense. He is honestly such a treat to watch. He knows when to push up, but, you know, he's pretty good defensively. And offensively, he has great hands, great hockey IQ. If it wasn't Tavares the captain, I'd like it to be Riley or Matthews, but we'll get into that in a different segment. But just players like that, which really drew me to the game and drove my passion for the Leafs. For multi-generational players, I feel like Sundin is probably has to be high up on that list of just all the 
kids know his name, the parents know his name, grandparents. Like he's just one of those guys that's so polarizing. His smile is just, you know, how can you not just love that smile? So awesome to see. And I got an opportunity to see him recently. My brother actually surprised me and took me to the Legends Classic game. Uh, he got me to Toronto, which is actually pretty hard to do considering my life and he worked with my family and surprised me and it was honestly such a great experience. It was my first time at Scotiabank Arena which to me will always be their Canada Centre but it was my first time there. I had the great pleasure of seeing my childhood great son Dean, Thomas Caberlet, Brian McCabe and honestly it was such a fun experience. I couldn't thank him enough. That was amazing. That's my kind of history of how I became a Leafs fan and the guys I grew up watching. And it's funny, actually, as a kid, I didn't really watch too many games. I did watch Hockey Night in Canada, of course. It was my favorite time of the week. But I didn't really have the channels growing up. And so I would actually sit by my computer and just listen to the game uh, off the Leafs website. They had a little button that you could hit and you'd listen to the radio broadcast. And it just kind of gave me a throwback, not that... I was ever in that time but to the time when whole families would just crowd around the radio and listen to the game it's just a totally different perspective and a different experience when you're just listening and waiting and you know just wishing that you could watch the replay or listen to that last minute of the game which is so intense and you'd just be hearing the broadcaster going crazy and of course that's the moment when my mom would be like hey come down now but you know that's how I grew up uh, listening to the game and becoming a fan of the game and the f a fan of the Leafs. I don't regret it for one second, which now I do watch a lot of hockey nowadays. Um, I do watch a lot of the Leafs, a lot of the Coyotes, a lot of the Canucks. Those are probably my three favorite teams in that order. Um, watching the Leafs and then Castle play and then watching the rookies in Vancouver. Man, is that Quinn Hughes kid good or what? But I do watch a lot of games nowadays compared to the olden days. I guess olden days, wow. Am I old, right? But I do carry around a second phone that's dedicated for just watching hockey. Which brings us to today where I have been watching the Leafs religiously. Even when they've had their rough seasons, and boy have they been a lot. But, you know, here I am today, still one of the biggest Leafs fans. And I feel that, you know, everyone says that, oh, you know, I'm the biggest Leafs fan ever. But I think if you know me, then you know that that's actually true, and that... I really am one of the biggest fans you'll see. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't other big fans as well, but I definitely rank on the top of their list, um, I'm sure, if they had one. I know that normally when someone is as passionate as I am, it can be hard to see the team objectively, but you know, I think I've done a good job of growing and actually learning how to look at my team and see the moves that they're making and how they're playing objectively. I'll be giving my opinion, of course, about how I feel about things, but I think it just gives me a good perspective on how other teams are doing compared to mine and how my team is doing. Because, you know, when you are such a passionate fan, it's pretty easy to judge them both positively and negatively when you can look at your team objectively and actually see that, oh, hey, you know what? They're actually not playing well. Um, and not just because TSN saying it. I think it helps. So, with that, I do want to get into talking about the Leafs and specifically what happened last week with the coach. So let me begin by saying that I fully support firing Mike Babcock. And I think that they should have done it sooner. To me, the summer would have been the perfect time, but we'll get into that in a little while. When people talk about his success, like it kind of bothers me because his Stanley Cup was in 2008, people. Like that was 11 years ago. 
and that's not recent. And when people talk about his Olympic wins, like please, Team Canada is so stacked that my cat could probably coach the team and win gold. So don't tell me that, oh, he's an amazing coach because of his Olympic golds. Like, come on, please. Not that it's, you know, a bad feat, but like, let's be real, it's Team Canada. Now, I would like to briefly go over his history as a Leaf, and then we'll get into what got him in some fire. Pun intended. So in the 15-16 season, that was when the Leafs hired Babcock and Lou Lamorello to join the team. And boy, did they stink. But funny enough, it's not as bad as the year before with the infamous Peter Horacek Leafs, which somehow had less points than Mike Babcock's first year, despite finishing last in the league. And so yes, I have watched some very bad Leafs teams. And their record during Babcock's first year behind the bench was 29 wins, 42 losses, and 11 overtime losses. And with that, they finished last in the league and win the draft lottery to select Austin Matthews. Side note, Matthews missed the cutoff by two days to be in the 2015 draft with McDavid and Eichel. So more on that in episode two. But in the meantime, in that season, the Leafs definitely did get a lot better. You could tell they actually had defensive structure. They actually had system and rhythm to their game. They definitely looked a lot more refined and less of a public skating kind of thing. You could tell they bought into the Mike Babcock system, which was great. This pushes us to the 16-17 season in which they were pretty good. Their record was 40 wins, 27 losses, and 15 overtime losses. And they just squeak into the playoffs. So they play Washington that year and they lost in the first round. We will touch on how I felt about this playoff round in a little bit. The 16-17 season, the record is 49 wins, 26 losses, and 7 overtime losses. And this year they set a franchise record for points and wins in a season. They ultimately lose in the first round to Boston, which is Game 7 at TD Garden. Again, uh, let's not bring back my tears. 18-19 season, their record is 46 wins, 28 losses, and 8 overtime losses. Now this is the first year with new acquisitions, John Tavares and Jake Muzzin. Now this is where I really think the major disconnects between Babcock and GM Kyle Dubas begin, or at least begin to become more evident to us. The Leafs have had a defensive problem for a while now, and Dubas finally listened and acquired a good, tough defensive defenseman, who let's not forget, played alongside Drew Doughty and has won two Stanley Cups. Dubas acquired Muzzin without giving up a roster player, which is huge. And Mike Babcock's first words were, quote, Well, he's not a right-handed shot. So instead of praising the fact that Toronto's deep core without a doubt got a huge upgrade, he was basically, but yeah, meh. Come on, man. Like, you just got a huge upgrade on D. This is what everyone's been begging for, and you're like, eh. Like, come on. Anyway, they lost against Boston again in the playoffs, and Babcock's job was on the line at that time. In the summer, they did choose to give him one more chance. Now, I did see reports that said that the playoffs, specifically Game 5, saved Mike Babcock's job, which I think is crap, because out of the last three years, the Leafs played the worst in this year's postseason, or I guess last year's postseason. This brings us to da-da-da-da, the season where the Leafs' record is 9-10-4, and four, and he is gone. There's so much wrong with the Leafs this year, but let's start with this. They only had two regulation wins in the last 16 games at the time. Two. That is absolutely horrendous. At that point, they had lost six straight with an absolute embarrassment against the Penguins on Saturday, 6-1. to one. They had given up 79 goals this season, which is the second most in the league. Since November 9th, they have given up 22 goals, which is the most in the league. 
Their PK is the fifth worst in the National Hockey League, and their power play is 22nd in the National Hockey League. And watching the power play is literally like watching paint dry. It is the most predictable power play in the league. Like everyone's caught on to the whole drop pass thing. Try something else, please. But Babcock is allergic to change, so nothing changes, of course. Now, when this team gets a power play, you almost want to decline it, like in the NFL. Because honestly, their PP is even worse than 5 on 5. Like, just decline it and play even strength, because lord knows you play better. Oh, and did I forget that they have only scored first and four out of 22 games? So now that you know how bad this team is, let's talk about how Babcock is at fault for it. Since he began as a Leafs head coach, he's always had a very bad habit of playing his favorites way too much and setting other players forever. He has a problem with killing momentum by every time after power play only plays the fourth line. The shifts after power plays are so crucial in keeping that momentum going. Whether you score or not, you have a chance to either get a quick goal building off of that or getting another goal or having a good shift keeping those guys hemmed in because after the power play you know the other team is going to play their best line but no Babcock just continues to go to the fourth line after those shifts and it honestly kills the momentum he's been doing it for years and it's not only frustrating for the fans but it's also frustrating for the players as well I'm sure Leafs have always had a problem with having right-handed D-men but the Leafs have picked up different right-hand D-men from across the league Remember Frank Corrado? Picked up from Vancouver. Remember Alexei Marchenko? Picked up from Detroit. Now what do they have in common? They were both never played. Only in like dire need were they ever actually played. Otherwise they sat upstairs in the press box as healthy scratches and were never sent down to the AHL because they were afraid that they would be picked up by another team. But come on. The alternative is they eat way more popcorn than Cineplex even sells in a month. Anyway, those two never saw the light of day and neither of them are in the NHL anymore. Marchenko has been in the KHL for a while now and Corrado is bumming down in the AHL. These aren't the only two though. Justin Hall, who is a regular this season, but last year he only played in 11 games and sat out for the other 71. Josh Levo, who had an amazing shot and was actually a very good player. He had tremendous upside, but he was only played in about 80 games, which you might not think is bad, but that's over the last six seasons. So average out and you get about 13 games a season. Still need more evidence? Look at Nick Patan. He sat constantly under Babcock this season. Need some more? Well, look at Jason Spezza, a hometown boy who is very well respected around the league. He's a good veteran, a very good player, but was constantly a healthy scratch with Mike Babcock. He didn't even play him in the home opener. He is a guy who took the league minimum to come here, Toronto boy, but no, his friends and family come to see him. And what does he get? Well, you can sit for your what could be your last home opener ever in your career. And that, too, over Nick Shore. Nick Shore is not a well-established NHL player. He came from the KHL last year because no one wanted to sign him two years ago. So that's a huge slap in the face for a solid veteran who's not deserved that, especially after his career. And the way he plays, you know, he can win face-offs. He has a dynamite shot still. He scored two out of the last three goals in the last two games for the Leafs. The first was his 335th in his career. So I think he knows a thing or two about scoring. And this not only is in Toronto, Babcock's poor treatment of players stems to Detroit as well. Remember Mike Modano? I've heard his name before. Well, he's an absolute beauty and a stud who scored 1,374 points in his career. But how many games did he finish with, might you ask? Well, the answer is 1,499. That's right. He did not finish with 1,500 because Mike Babcock healthy scratched him. 
That's right, he, he kept him in the press box rather than playing, and he did not finish with 1,500 games, which is honestly just sickening. Like, come on. And this was also a hometown boy who signed in Detroit to have one last chance at a championship, and that's how he was treated. Remind you of someone? This brings us to Mike Babcock's hate for players that Kyle Dubas brings in. Dubas signed Levo to a two-year extension for 700k, and Babcock signed him for a whole year. Dubas brings in Patan, Babcock sits him. Spezza's brought in, Babcock sits him. Dubas trades for Barry, which was his big acquisition this year. But Babcock doesn't use him right. His game is high tempo, speed, joining the rush, like he was built for the Leafs. Oh, and might I remind you that he is a right-handed shot? Yes, he is. And so that's their game. The Leafs love speed, high tempo. That's how they win. That's where their success stems from. And that's what got them into the playoffs. But he refuses to keep him off the power play. Even though the power play is dreadful, he still doesn't put him on the top line. Like, shake things up a bit, please. You know, honestly, your power play can't get much worse. Barry quarterbacked the Avalanche's power play, and he scored 59 points and 57 points respectively in the last two seasons. This season, he's barely on pace for 20, and that's not right. Which brings me to my next point. Babcock just doesn't want to change things. The Riley-CC pairing on defense has been the top D pairing all year, and has not worked all year. But has he even tried to change anything? No. Even the other night, which was his last game, where his job was on the line, and all he did was move Barry down to play with Dermot and Hall up to play with Muzzin. And if that was my last game, I would take the blender out. Top pair, Riley Barry, then Muzzin Hall, then Dermot CeCe. CeCe shouldn't even be in the NHL, but he was a cap dump, and we'll get into that later. But Babcock just never changed the deep pairings or the forward lines. It wasn't working. Change something. Like, come on. Patan was on the top line with Tavares for a game, and he played extremely well, but was it ever tried again? No, because why would we use good ideas? His use of goalies was just flat-out stupid. Hutchinson was not as bad as the numbers said that he was, and he should have been used much differently. Babcock was hell-bent on playing him solely on the latter part of back-to-backs, even when the first game would be against a non-divisional rival, and the second game would be. Come on, man, you're a smart coach and you don't think your top goalie should play against Boston, a divisional rival, just because it's on a second half of a back-to-back? On the 15th of October, the Leafs played Minnesota, and the next day they played Washington. Minnesota was the worst team in the NHL at the time, and they couldn't score to save their lives. Hutch could have easily started that game. As a matter of fact, the Leafs only let them get 17 shots that game. So come on, you're telling me your backup could not handle that? That's what they're designed for. Like, come on. No, instead he played the next night against a well-rested Washington team. Toronto lost. This happened every back-to-back, and the poor guy's numbers took a hit because the Leafs were tired and playing bad, playing sloppy, and, you know, just not playing well at all. And I know that's not a good excuse, but it's the truth, and it costed him his job as a backup goalie. So I'm so glad Sheldon Keefe is bringing him back up as we speak and giving him another chance because he deserves it. Kaskasuo replaced him, and on his first game the Leafs played was the worst game that I think I've seen them play in a long time. The poor kid got thumped in his first NHL game. His mom was there crying during the anthem. Honestly, it was a really nice sight. Not that she was crying, but, you know, you know, emotional. And it's always nice to see your kid suit up for his first game. But let me remind you that the Penguins had also played the night before. So there's no excuses there. And their starting goalie was their backup, Tristan Jari. Crosby, Latang, and Hornquist were all injured. Yes, their star center, best defenseman, and one of their better and most agitating forwards weren't playing. And the only guy to score for the Leafs was 
Jason Spezza. That's right. Like, there was no excuses to lose that game, but the Leafs played absolutely atrocious, and nothing changed. They lost. So let's talk about Babcock's early goalie pulls when they're down by a goal and how that has hurt the team. There was a reason Patrick Wall was fired. Great goalie, you betcha. Great coach, not so much. Babcock has always tried to implement this whole early goalie pull thing. I get it, sometimes the risk pays off, but it's always hurt the team, and I've never liked it, ever. Half the time before the team can even get a setup, he's like, okay, Anderson, come out, and boom, they've scored, which absolutely kills the game for them. Like, you have so many talented players on the ice, trust them a little bit, please. Which also brings me into how he used players. He sat the star players when the team needed him the most, i.e. Game 7. Matthews only had 18 minutes of ice time, and in the last few moments, he's not on the ice. And that's not the only game it's happened. It's happened quite often. Uh, the Leafs have had this season especially taken a ridiculous amount of too many men on the ice penalties. And speaking of penalties, when the Leafs take one this year, you might as well give the other team a goal. Like, their PK has been atrocious. You might as well just add one for the team on the scoreboard. Like, please, just save us those two minutes. The Leafs have lost two assistant coaches this year and brought in two new ones, Dave Hackstall and Paul McFarland. J.J. Smith was their original special teams coach, but he moved on to head coach Ottawa, and he's actually doing pretty well. You know, the team's really taken to him, and you know, they actually have a pretty good record this season. And while Hackstall and McFarland were Dubas hires, Babcock didn't allow them to make any real changes to the specialty teams, and they've been as worse as they've ever been. So here's an idea. Let Matthews kill a penalty every now and then. Like he has the skill and the smarts. Let him do it. All the best centers in the league kill penalties, so why not let him? Bergeron and Marchand kill penalties, McDavid, Dreisaitl kill penalties. Throw Matthews out on there. You did it with Marner. Why not do it with Matthews? Keep him in the game. I want to talk about the playoffs now. The Leafs looked amazing in the series against the Capitals. Like, amazing. Five out of six games went to OT. I think we all remember the double OT winner which Kapanen scored. But out of those six games, five of them were in overtime, and the six was lost in regulation, but by only one goal. So that series against the Washington Capitals was undeniably their best postseason. I say that because I just feel that they played up-tempo hockey, they played meaningful hockey, they really wanted it, they seemed so eager, their hearts were in it, they were the underdogs, everyone thought that they would get swept, and boom, they just showed that they can compete, and I truly believe that if they would have beat the Washington Capitals that year, I think that they would have gone on to the conference finals without a doubt. I don't think they would have won it, but I think they would have at least made the second or third round. The first postseason against Boston, so two years ago, I think they actually did look good. They played well and they came up short. But last year, they just played like crap. I don't think they played very well. They did indeed deserve to lose that round. And there was no excuses. They had acquired the players. They addressed the depth issues. And not completely, but they definitely added some key pieces that added to the depth of the team for sure. Like Tavares is a first line center. Muzzin was a big tough defenseman, something that they were missing in the year before. Let's just remember, Muzzin was added not at the trade deadline, but a month before it, which makes a big difference when you're addressing the time it takes for a player to adjust to a new team and a new system and, you know, build chemistry with his teammates and his line mates. Babcock knew the other team and the way they played. Like, Boston's lineup didn't change all that much. They did acquire, I think, John Moore and Charlie Coyle, but 
other than that, like you've played the team so many times this season. You met them in the playoffs last season. You know the team. You know the coach. Like there shouldn't be any excuses to why you couldn't put up a much better fight. And I think one of his biggest problems is constant line matching. I've always hated line matching. I know that it's always chess, not checkers, but I've always believed that if you have a good, well-built team and you have depth like the Leafs do, you can have any line play against any line. Now, I'm not saying throw the fourth line out on constantly when Bergeron and Marshawn and Pasternak are on the ice, but at least trust your lineup and let your depth show. You have a good, fast team. You guys can play, so let them play. Roll the lines, and so players aren't scurrying off the ice as soon as... Bergeron shows his face as if he's the plague. Like, honestly, some players would see him and boom, right to the bench. And here comes Tavares, but oh, he's barely into it because he's hurrying onto the ice unexpectedly. Come on, just roll your lines, let them play. And I think that because he didn't, it was a big reason for the Leafs' demise. I do want to touch on a recent incident that just came out where in Mars rookie year, Babcock made him make a list of the players and ranked them from 1 to 20 on how hard they were working and how they were performing. And then he went on to show those players that, hey, this rookie just ranked you at the bottom. And I think that's completely wrong, like a disgusting move by the coach. Like, why would you do that? There's no situation in which that helps the team or builds morale. In fact, it does the direct opposite. Using fear was never good, and like, come on, when has that ever worked? Just another example of what went wrong with Babcock, and why I'm glad he's not behind the bench anymore, was Tom Mitsos, I think I said his name right, sent a tweet about Carlo Kaliakovo, who was a former player under Babcock in Detroit, and his comments on his former bench boss read, Every year in Detroit, the leaders would go in and try to get him fired, but Ken Holland the GM at the time, who's now with the Oilers, wouldn't even entertain the conversation. It just shows that he wasn't liked there either and that it was a team effort to get rid of him over there. Something that I found pretty cryptic, as was everything Babcock would say, but two things in particular. Firstly, in an interview a few days before he was fired, when he said, I'm in a good place in my life, my kids are grown up, if they were young, I would never coach the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then he went on to say that I always bet on Mike Babcock, and I always will bet on Mike Babcock. To me, this was very directed. He knew he was on the hot seat, and he knew who his replacement was going to be. There was no way Babs didn't know who was going to replace him. Of course he knew, and he took a shot at him in this interview, especially because Keith has young kids. I thought it was pretty gutless of him. I know he has a degree in psychology, and he's always trying to play mind games with the players and the press. But to me, just focus on your job, rather than taking shots at Sheldon Keefe just because when it came down to the game, in what would be his final game, he came up short. Now, after he was let go, and this is the second thing, Babcock did release a statement in which he thanked Larry Tannenbaum, one of the owners of the Leafs. He thanks Lou Lamorello, the GM for the Leafs, who was hired in the same year Babcock was, but now is the GM of the Islanders. Funny story actually about that. He was hired as their president and then he fired their head coach and GM Guard Snow. He brought in Barry Trotz to be the head coach and Lou actually made himself the GM. If that's on a coup, then what is? Back to Babcock. He mentioned Lou in his statement and he said that he had a friend for life in him. He went on about how he turned around the franchise, which he did. Credit to where credit is due, they did go from being last in the league to having 100 point seasons. He then went on to thank the fans, all three of them that were left, and the media, which is funny because everyone hates Toronto's media. This is where it gets interesting. He thanks all the players he coached, but he specifically mentioned Morgan Riley. The only player he name-dropped was Mo. 
He said he's been there the whole time and he couldn't thank him enough. No mention of Shanahan or Dubas, which I mean is not surprising given their rocky relationships, but again, just taking shots at them. Bad blood there, and not that I'm mad about it and or that they will lose sleep over it. I mean, the Leafs will be paying Babcock another $6.5 million for the next three years, so who's really laughing in the end? Anyway, he was fired, or sorry, relieved of his duties, and even in his last game, he didn't make any significant changes, and they lost. And I'm kind of glad they did. The team did play better that day, and they did put up a decent fight, but definitely not their best effort, and it, it just showed how he did, in fact, lose that team, and he lost that room. The team didn't want him, and that was clear. We get the confirmation that the Leafs gave up on Babcock through an interview with Sean McKenzie and Travis Dermott. Now, Dermott played with the championship Marley's roster and the Leafs last year, so he knows both coaches very well. Sean asked Travis, quote, what is it about Sheldon Keefe? And Dermott replied, matter-of-factly, boys want to play for him. The Leafs are now 3-0 with their new coach, but this all just confirms that the team did in fact give up on him. They didn't want to play for Babs, and they wanted this coaching change more than anyone. So from the team, the fans, and myself, Goodbye, Babs. On to the new coach, Sheldon Keefe. He has a very good relationship with Kyle Dubas, and they worked together in junior, and then they worked together and won with the Marlies, Toronto's AHL affiliate, um, and they won the first ever championship two seasons ago in the history for the Marlies. I was, in fact, at Game 6 and 7, so I did see them ho hoist the cup, and it was an amazing experience. Honestly, super fun game against the Texas Stars. Big win. Honestly, really good time. If you have a chance, go to the Rico, Col or I guess the Coca-Cola Coliseum, it's called now. But go there and watch a Marley's game. It's not that expensive. And they actually played really well. Watching some of those kids play was really nice. And just a really good experience. Take your kids. It's a really fun time. And on top of that, last year the Marley's made the finals again and came up short. But this was all under Sheldon Keefe, so he knows the players on the Leafs, and he's a winning coach, and more importantly, a recent winning coach. And I think he'll be a great fit for the Leafs. He's already won three games in a row, and the Leafs do look better. Barry's actually moving now. And you know what? He didn't put Barry alone on the first power play. He put Riley and Barry together. Like, you're telling me Babcock couldn't think of that? It's a good idea. Get them going. Barry's had a disappointing season. He's in a contract year. I'm sure he wants to get going too. That's not how he plays. But look, this coach comes in, throws him on the top power play. Okay, here, go out there and play. Do what you do best. And he scored three goals in as many games. And he's honestly looked a lot better. His wheels are back. His legs are going. And, you know, it just shows how a new voice can just move mountains and change wonders and cause wonders or whatever the saying is. Okay, the rant's over. But just before I move on, I want to say one last thing about Babcock, and I know I've spoken extensively on his coaching, but I do want to talk about his character. Now, he's not the scum of the earth or a bad guy, and I want to make that clear. He has made some poor choices in his career, hands down, especially with the Leafs, but also with his teams before Detroit, Anaheim. But who hasn't? Honestly, who hasn't made those poor choices before as a coach? The reason I say this is that when the coaching change did happen, Babs did call Sheldon Keefe, they did exchange notes, and they had a nice conversation. He also sent Keefe a text after the Leafs won in Keefe's debut, and that's a sign of a good guy. And so that's where I'll end it with Babcock. So I think it's time for my NHL scandals segment. 
which is more of news around the league and not really scandals, but I just love the word scandals. Like, come on, who doesn't love a good scandal? So we will start with actually a true scandal in the Washington Capitals forward Garnet Hathaway, and actually he was a former Flame as well, and he was suspended. I don't know why that's relevant, but it is because I'm not a big Flames fan, and I know all the Flames fans out there are like, like my brother, but uh, you know what? I think it's because of my brother, actually. You know what? It is because of my brother. He is the reason I'm not a Flames fan. But anyway, so Garnet Hathaway was suspended three games for spitting. Yes, that is right, spitting on Anaheim's Eric Goodbranson during a fight that the refs were trying to break up. Now, what makes it really funny was in his post-game interview where he said, Oh, I was sucker-punched and as a result the spit left my mouth. Like, what? I was punched and the spit left my mouth? No, watch the video. There's a delay after he gets punched and it's very clearly intentional. And the people are talking about how Goodbranson sucker-punched him and that wasn't right, but go to the full clip before Goodbranson fights him. Derek Grant fought Hathaway after a big hit by Leipzig and Hathaway actually drove his elbow into the head of Derek Grant and actually shoved his head down to the ice with it and Goodbranson saw that and that's why he went after him in the first place. So there is backstory there and it all honestly all happened right before like this is all in the same segment. So it's not like it happened before like a game ago or earlier in the game. No, it happened like right before. So I don't blame Goodbranson for his actions sticking up for teammate. In fact, I wish the Leafs did that a little more. But we'll get into another one with St. Louis's defenseman Robert Portuzo and Nashville forward Victor Arvidsson. Now, as a result of Portuzo's actions, Arvidsson was hurt and will be injured for the next six weeks. In my opinion, this suspension should have been eight, even ten games, and I'll tell you why. First, Bortuzzo had a very clear intent to injure, and he already gave him one cross-check into the net, and then he looked at the ref, and he saw that he was going to get a penalty, so he cross-checks Arvidsson again while he's down. Now, he drives his stick into the small of his back with force. He is a repeat offender, having two previous cross-checking incidences, one on Brock Nelson of the New York Islanders, where he gave him, like, three shots to the back when he was down, and then one on Boston's Tory group where he got him like in the neck. I would like to highlight that these are the only suspended incidences. He has cross-checked Malkin badly in the ribs and also Essa Lindell from Dallas in the face. Oh, and remember when Bortuzzo fought Zach Sanford at practice? Want to know what team he played on? His own. He played on the Blues. Robert Bortuzzo fought a guy on his own team at practice, and it was not a consensual fight at all. This was Bortuzzo punching Sanford in the face, and Sanford trying to block and skate away. Like, Sanford's gloves didn't even come off, nor does he even throw a punch. Go look at the video, it's barbaric. This guy's an animal and a cancer, and a disgrace to the game. The cross-checking on Arvidsson incident should have been an in-person hearing, but it wasn't. It was a conference call hearing, meaning... He's getting less than five games, which is an absolute joke. The Department of Player Safety needs to reassess themselves. They really dropped a ball on this one. This should have been a much bigger suspension. We will move on to another suspension. Alex Kerfoot of the Leafs gets two games for cross-checking Eric Johnson. Now, this was Kerfoot's old team. There was no animosity there, and Johnson does kind of lose his balance during the hit, but that doesn't excuse the hit, and the suspension was fair. It was a cross-check to the back, but no malice there at all, unlike Bortuzzo. And if he can get two games for that, then the Bortuzzo suspension was honestly a slap on the wrist. He got away with robbery. What I did find funny about the whole Kerfoot situation 
was that the whole Colorado bench was up in arms and calling for a five-minute major and a game misconduct, and Kerfoot only got a two-minute penalty, which I think was fair, because there was no malice or any intent to injure. I think the ref did get the right call on this one, as the hit didn't warrant a major, two was good enough. Now the funniest thing came while Johnson was close to the bench and talking to the ref right after about the call and how it should have been five in a game. The ref skated away and Johnson squirted his yellow Gatorade at the ref. Now it did hit the ref, but I did find it pretty comical. Okay, that's it for scandals. But I do want to finish off with the Flames and what's happening there. Since November 9th, the record is 1-5-2. They've been shut out in three of those games, and the only game they won was in shootout. Now Brad Treliving has come out and said his coach isn't going anywhere. That was before recent reports of racial slurs Peters used with Nigerian hockey player Hakim Alou back when he was coaching the Chicago Blackhawks AHL team, the Rockford Ice Hogs. I'll explain the story really quickly. In Alou's rookie year, which was in the 2009-2010 season, Bill Peters came to the dressing room after morning skate and used the N-word while voicing his displeasure of Alou's choice of music, which was hip-hop. Peters then used the N-word again after calling Alou into his office to further voice his displeasure about the music choice. Alou thought that he was getting an apology from Peters. It turned out to be completely the opposite. Alou cited Colin Kaepernick and his situation for not coming forward prior to now. Two former teammates have confirmed the story. Brad Treleving has said that Peters still has a job and that they've launched an investigation. This is wrong. I think no matter who you are, you have to be cognizant of what you say. It was just music, like he didn't have to use racial slurs or be racist at all. That's never okay in the game of hockey or in life in general. Another article has come out with accusations of Bill Peters allegedly kicking a player during a game in Carolina. This former Carolina Hurricane, his name is Michael Jordan, yeah, <laughs> Michael Jordan, says, He kicked me pretty hard in the back during a game. Even the trainers and the other guys saw it. At that point in my career, I had just got there, so I couldn't say anything. But now other guys have come forward, so I am too. TSN's Frank Saravelli tweeted, Multiple sources have confirmed Jordan's story and added that Peters also struck a Canes defenseman in the head on the bench during a game. To this point, the player has chosen to stay anonymous. It's his story to tell. These acts are atrocious. It's one thing to verbally give it to a guy on the bench after maybe a bad play or a bad period wherever the situation was, but to physically abuse someone, that's another story. And I'm not condoning either act, but like, come on. Now, Jeff Merrick of Sportsnet said Bill Peters has been fired. The Flames say it's not true. And I don't think they want to fire him. I really don't. And I'll tell you why. The Flames pursued Bill Peters very aggressively. They did not interview any other coach when they fired Glenn Gullitson, their former head coach. They won Peters and Peters only. And this is something that I never understood because I don't think Peters is a very good coach at all. His record as a head coach was subpar. Out of 328 games with the Carolina Hurricanes, he won 137 of those, lost 138, and had 53 overtime losses. He was an average coach who never even made the playoffs with the Canes in all of his years there. And I guess we'll see how the saga continues. But you know what? I don't think the Flames are going to get rid of him or have any inkling to get rid of him. I mean, we'll see. So that's it. Uh, the time is up for episode one of Puck Time. I hope you all enjoyed listening to episode one. I have a guest with me for the next episode, which will launch soon. Thanks again for listening and making it all the way to the end. I really appreciate the support and hope to hear from you guys with your questions, your feedback, and any thoughts you have. 
Uh, text me, follow me, and tweet me at PuckTimePodcast. Use the hashtag AskPuckTime or send me an email at PuckTimePodcast at gmail.com. Another quick thank you I want to say is to all the support that I've had with Puck Time, from friends to my family. The people who are closest to me have been just so supportive of me in my effort and they've really done a lot to help bring this podcast to life and I couldn't ask for anything more. Again, I want to thank you guys, the listeners. I really appreciate it. If you have anything you want me to talk about, please send it to me and I will be sure to add it in the future episodes. Thanks again, have a great week, and keep your eyes open and your ears peeled for our next episode.